What's up, everybody? Good day, and welcome to Theology in the Dirt. We want to practice our theology in the public square of our homes, our city, and our world. We record Theology in the Dirt from the headquarters of Global Impact Restoration Rome, where we work to address the foster care and adoption crisis in northwest Georgia, the state of Georgia, the southeast, and the whole world as a practice of our theology in the public square. You can check out Restoration Rome by going to restorationrome.org. My name's Mitchell Jolly. And I'm Chris Hayes. What's up, everybody? I hope you enjoy being Rick Rolled this morning. And and uh, Chris and I are no strangers to love, but not that way. Yep. This is take two because take one was such a train wreck of me <laughs> laughing about we're no strangers to love. That song makes me happy. It's, it's a good song. It's, it's positive vibes there. Very positive vibes. Encouraging so message. It is an encouraging message. So we hope that you enjoy being Rick Rolled right out of the gate today. It's time to get to some headlines. Well, Chris, got some headlines for us today. The first one uh, is probably not news to a lot of people, but the factoid behind it blows my mind. I pulled this from the dispatch this morning. President Trump's been indicted, um, and not since Ulysses S. Grant was arrested for speeding through Washington, D.C. in his horse-drawn carriage. True story, had the United States present, current or former, officially run afoul of the law. Blew my mind that somebody pulled over a man speeding in his horse-drawn carriage. You'll see this, Grant. Not to mention a president and a Civil War general. <laughs> Probably Blo- Blows my mind. <laughs> so it's Grant and Trump now. That's interesting. Turkey's parliament voted to approve Finland's accession to NATO on Thursday, clearing the way for the Nordic nation to become the alliance's 31st member. Once it deposits its request, the United States... Uh, State Department in Washington. Russia's Federal Security Bureau arrested Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershevich in this place I can't pronounce on Wednesday, accusing the Russian-speaking American journalist of spying on behalf of the United States of America. The Department of Defense announced Thursday that retaliatory airstrikes launched last week after a drone uh, of Iranian origin killed U.S. contractor and injured other United States troops in a base in Syria. Uh, and then Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin announced Thursday nine soldiers were killed uh, during a night training accident with two Black Hawk helicopters collided in a training exercise, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, Kentucky, the home of the 101st Airborne Division, the Screaming Eagles. So our uh, our condolences go out to those families uh, and being an Army dad, that hits close to home. And so those are our headlines from me. Uh, speaking of things that hit home, uh, I, you know, I hate that we're having to talk about another one of these, but I just, I just couldn't really let it go, and that's the uh, the school shooting that happened uh, earlier this week in Nashville at um, Covenant Presbyterian School. Um, three nine-year-old kids lost their life, and three adults, including, I think, the principal or the headmaster, whatever, I'm not sure the exact title, um, as a young, uh, young girl, former student of that school. Yeah, uh, and, and people have probably heard it. I'm not going to go into the details. I just, I just want to just lift up those families in prayer today and make sure that we uh, we think about them. Think about the the family of the um, of the shooter as well, because from what I 
read this was a complete shock to them and to anyone that knew the girl that did the shooting and um you know but once again it's it's you know we're seeing the deaths of innocent people being used for political propaganda uh, yeah. in fact i saw a video of a lady basically saying like there was i guess there's some law in Tennessee that has to do with trans people. And I don't know the exact one, but was basically saying if that law hadn't been passed, maybe these kids will still be alive. And I just, I would never hit a woman, but I was just like, this was, a, this was like a day after. And I was like, right. this is not the time for you to be making those arguments. Um, right. And it's just all tragic. But in yeah. both of us being husbands of educators, um, having kids in public schools and at much different grades, but certainly they're, um, as much as I like to believe they're safe, and I'm not going to live in a world of fear, but it doesn't mean that there's not real fear that exists and it can happen anywhere, and it's just sad. It is sad, and there are a multitude of layers of issues there, which I think we probably need to do a podcast on when it comes to that ideology and that agenda. There's actually a playbook. If you were willing to go pay, spend the money to buy, it's called After the Ball. It was written in the late 80s by Kirk and Madsen. It's a sociological playbook on how to normalize um, same-sex attraction and all the peripheral issues. And if you read the book and pay attention, what you'll find is it is the exact playbook that media and entertainment has used to normalize that and turn it into a religion. Yeah. Um, and once you read that book, uh, you'll realize you've been played like a fiddle. And... Um, there's just no room for us to um, give away any ground on that issue. We don't have to be rude and mean. We should not be rude and mean. Um, in fact, um, our love quotient should increase, but our firmness, our foot in the sand, a line in the sand, our foot placed firmly on the reality of created order is huge here because that ideology um, is dangerous. And the press is going to play that in the opposite direction because – they're part of the narrative. 100%. And so what you you observed is, is true. Uh, even the press secretary um, made it an issue of transgender people being under attack when it was transgender per persons uh, rampage that caused this. And it's interesting. School shootings are, how do I say this? School shootings are great for a certain agenda as long as the school shooter fits the narrative's agenda. But when they don't, encounter it and it just goes away yeah which means it's not about school shootings no. it's not about school There's shootings. very little coverage on this one compared to um was it texas one or whatever the other yeah, one yeah uvalde yeah uvalde right and so anyway I, I i'm gonna i'm gonna diverge do you have another piece of news right, let's go with the positive piece let's of news just because piece of that of news yeah yesterday one of the best <gasps> days of the year it's opening day. Woohoo! Yes. And the Braves won their first opening day game since 2018. 162 and 0. That's what we're going for. World <laughs> Champs 2023. That's right. I mean, it's just a fun day. It's just um, Brittany and Addison School did uh, Brave, like everybody wore Brave stuff and awesome. kind of celebrate. So it's just a good time. Um, yeah, hopefully 162 and 0. But if not, at least just win the World Series. <laughs> yeah, just win the World Series, right? <laughs> That's it. Hey, here's the last piece of news I have. Um, and it's not really news, but it is it, it is really cool. Um, we want to invite our audience because we have a really cool audience. Uh, our audience isn't huge, but if you're a theology in the dirt person, um, you range from everywhere to Rome, Georgia, to Ireland, to India. And so we have a very broad audience around the world. And I think that's a lot of fun. And we want to ask you guys to pray because we have some friends 
who had their precious little baby this week, and he is uh, he is in the PICU, P-I-C-U, uh, in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and uh, fighting for his life. And uh, Chris and Lizzie Hamilton are our friends. You pray for them, but also their little fellow Malachi. And so God is answering prayer, and and one of the things that we believe as Christians is that we have a responsibility to act before God in prayer, and prayer is a powerful and effective tool God's given us. It's the way He wired His universe to work, so that when we engage with Him in prayer, God moves things, and prayer moves things. And so God is answering our prayers with little Malachi. So we want to invite you to pray for Malachi, his healing, that new creation would break forth in that little fella, and that life would surge and healing and all good things would happen for him. So if you guys would do that, that will be absolutely awesome. And let's give God glory for what he has done and what he's going to do. And now it's time for the show. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention, please. It's time for the final countdown. The show starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's rock. Let's rock indeed. And if you wonder why there's a... 10 second countdown it's because it's the best countdown i could find <laughs> because voice is awesome voice is awesome voice is awesome but it also gives us the time to get a sip of our favorite beverage chris water and my 730 second cup of coffee for the <laughs> for, for the day and so uh today we are continuing talking about, talking about these issues uh, of of the christian life um today we're gonna we're gonna jump into um the question what is a worldview we introduced this in a sermon a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about creation and the eight basic questions that need to be asked and answered to develop a worldview. And so I know right now, it, particularly in certain circles, the world worldview has fallen on hard times. So we don't like the word worldview. It's its source and origin and how it's been used historically is not necessarily everybody's favorite. And I'm not going to go into the etymology of the word. It's kind of irrelevant. But the bottom line is every single human on the face of the planet has a perspective. How, how they view all of life, how they view creation, how they view people, they have a view. They have a perspective. And they have a framework of how they operate toward how they ask and answer all those questions. And so you can call that a worldview. You can call it whatever you want to call it. Worldview is a fine word. But a worldview is quite literally how you view, how you see the world. And so uh, it's a fundamental framework uh, from which we view and make sense of everything around us, everything in the world. And it's quite literally how a human sees everything. Because you see it, you have to make sense of it, you have to integrate it, you have to function off of that. Eight basic questions. So what we're going to do is I'm going to introduce the question and we're going to chop it up a little bit. And, and what we hope you will do is join us in... In, in developing a robust answer to these questions for yourself. Because as you do this, the, the construction equivalent will be um, laying a solid concrete foundation and beginning to put some framework up to build a complete house. Without asking and answering these questions, you have no foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's what I would argue. Everybody asks and answers them whether they realize it or not. Yeah, well, everybody has a worldview, whether they... Yeah, know what that is, or or know how to construct it. Everybody has it. That's right, and it's all based off of something. And 
It just depends on what that is. Yeah, that's exactly right. So <laughs> here are the eight questions, and we're going to come back and talk about them. The first one is, who is God? That's a theology. The second one is, how do we know stuff? That's an epistemology. The third is, where did we come from? That's a cosmology. The fourth is, who is mankind or who is humanity? That's an anthropology. Uh, the fifth is, what is right and wrong? That's ethics. The sixth is, how people, how are people rescued from the state of things not being right? That's that's a salvation. Number seven is, what is our purpose? That's a teleology. And number eight is, what is mankind's end? That's an eschatology. And by the way, if you noticed in these eight questions, some of these are um, degrees in a liberal arts education. Yeah. So so you will find classes on these is because they are fundamental to understanding our place in the universe. Yeah, if you've ever been in a, had a philosophy class in college or mm-hmm. an anthropology class and and, and I mean, even astronomy class one of these ties yeah. into that. So you're right, it's it's stuff that's not Christian only. Yeah. What we want to do is help help dissect them from a biblical worldview. Yeah, that's and, and right. Help us um, to kind of complete the picture. Yeah, that's right. You want to complete the picture. And everybody has answers to these questions, whether they realize it or not. So the first one is the theology, and that is, who is God? Now, I had a professor say one time to me, and this is totally true, everybody's a theologian. Everybody's a theologian. The question is, are you a good one or are you a sloppy one? That's so what are you? Are you a good one or a sloppy one? And even an atheist is a theologian. Yes. Their theology says there is no God, and they're certain about it. Uh, it, it at least, you know, an agnostic is honest about their skepticism and saying, well, I don't know, neither do you. And I'm like, fair, good point. And that's a theology. So the theology is who is God? So, Chris, when you come to that question, how do you answer it? Um, a lot of, I think there's a lot of ways you can go, but I think first and foremost, he's the triune God who created all things was before all things and alone is worthy to be praised. So I think of Colossians one sixteen: for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And I really like what you said, because I think you're right. Everyone has a theology, even if, if their theology isn't that they don't believe in God or a God, right. then they themselves become their God. Yeah. And, and and they base all of their views off of that. And um, so it's always funny when you hear, it, maybe funny is not the right word, but when I hear an atheist mention, like, I don't believe in anything, I'm like, no, you believe in something. Absolutely. You, you, the belief of lack, of, the belief of nothing is the belief of something. That's right. Um, but when I think of who is God, like that's, so I think, you know, I think creator, I think a father, you know, I think, you know, just exist in and through and everything. Yeah. And, and, and with that said, everything that has been created or that is, has been made is for his glory. Yeah, that's exactly right. So triune, um, who is this God? He's the triune God, the creator of all things. And, and, and what's, what's interesting. <coughs> Sorry. Yeah, we don't have the COVID, no worries. We don't have the COVID, it's promised, but it is like the third pollening. Yes. The third pollening. So when you have a theology, you get specific because every theology answers, who is this God? Do I believe mm-hmm. there's a God? Yes. All right? So it depend, depends on where you live and and the dominant framework of thought there. And, 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 and even the next question is an epistemology. How do you know what you know? And how do you know that you know? Um, everybody has a source of authority. Yes. And they're pulling from some source. Like it, it, 
And so you, you get really down the rabbit hole science. of epistemology. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Whether it's science or divine revelation, but depending on the theological framework around you, um, you may answer that, ask and answer that question differently, which is which gets down into a theology of are people right or wrong? And if they're wrong, should their minds be changed? Should they be convinced? And then how do you convince them? Right. So, so I mean, you you get down into lots of questions that have answers. But when we come to this as a Christian, yes, we believe not only is there a God, we believe He defines Himself very clearly. Mm-hmm. He gives Himself a name. He says He is the I Am Yahweh. Um, this God of the Bible clearly manifests Himself physically um, when He made people in His image, and then He shows up in places in the Bible, not just in ghost form, but in physical form. That uh, when He speaks to Samuel, this is fascinating. You pay attention to the detail of the text. He calls Samuel. He calls him three times, and it says Yahweh, the word of Yahweh, the word of Yahweh appeared to him in a vision. Now you stop and think, if that's just audible, why does he need a vision? Right. Well, it's because John says in the beginning was the Word, the Word's with God, the Word was God, talking about Jesus. So what you have there in this little encounter with Samuel and the Lord is the eternal preexistent Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Word, flesh, visually manifesting himself to Samuel to call him to follow him. Yeah. So, so this God not only is Yahweh, this God manifests himself in a distinct way different from himself and this you begin to see this revelation in the bible this god is one but he is triune so he's one he's distinct as multiple persons and we learn this whole bible revelation he's father son and holy spirit but he's one god so there's the oneness of god in three distinct persons and so you get this like totally unique completely yeah. unique we're not talking allah the complete radical monotheistic unitheistic whatever of islam we're talking a triune, one God, triune in nature, completely unique. Um, and so this is who we say God is, which, which then begins to make God isn't just up there. That's deism, has nothing to do with us, but God is personal. He appears. He comes close. He speaks. He invites response. That's, that's amazing. It is, it, it's, and, it, and it separates him yes. because— he desires relationship so much that he's a relationship with himself as the triune God. That's right. And he seeks relationship with us. That's why he created us. And we'll get into mankind in a minute. But I think that's, I think that personal nature is the most important piece. This isn't just a voice in the sky. It's not just, you know, the clouds forming with yeah. sunshine. And it's, yeah. it's, he's not an emptiness. He's not like never ending story, the nothing, you know, it's, right. there's, there's a, it's a personal God. Yeah. And, his story throughout the scripture is proof of that. You you mentioned that with Samuel. We saw that with Moses uh, through the burning bush. You know, he we see Jacob wrestled with him. I mean, we could just say story after story yeah. after story where he made himself known, not just in the audible sense. That's right. He intends to fellowship with his creatures in the creation he made for them to co-regent with him and manage with him. And this is why you'll find this all through the Bible, is God particularly loves gardens and mountains. So God hangs out with them in the cool of the day in the garden, and then he meets Moses on the mountain. And this is why in other places around the world where sin has wrecked people and, and, and separated them from the true God, 
there's a spiritual oomph to mountains and gardens. It's because God wired mountains and gardens to be places he met with his people personally in a personal interaction and enjoyment with him. And you find that over and over again. Jesus goes up onto the mountain and is transfigured with two of his disciples. That is not accidental. That is all the way back to Sinai. And 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 so God's personal. So this God of the Bible is crazy unique, and he crazy desires to reconcile people back to himself, so much so that the eternal Son of God, who appeared to Samuel, would come and take on human flesh, and he would die in the place of sinners, be buried, and rise on the third day and ascend to the Father so that people could repent of their sin and come to him and have that relationship completely restored new again. Yeah, That's mind-blowing. That's unique. But that's us as a Christian. That's how we see God. And the fact that he's reachable, like he's among us, yeah. he he hears us, you know, he communes with us. Just, you know, that's why I think I love the picture of, you know, Abba, of a father yeah. because of the, and, it, and I think that puts sin in a different light and it puts the desire to not sin in a different light. It puts grace into a different light because it's like, I don't want to, when we when we understand that relationship mm-hmm. as, you know, when we, when we, come into a relationship with Christ, we are no longer separated from him. Yeah. Meaning that you know, I don't want to disappoint him. Yeah. You know, like I, I want, and, and that's, there's more to it than that. But like, even yeah. just at that core, everyone can relate to that feeling yeah. of, I don't want to disappoint my father. I don't yeah. want to disappoint the one who has saved me, the one who has mm. given me these things. And mm. when you make it that personal, it, it to me, that just completely yeah. gives you a bigger picture of who he is, but also that theology piece. And it drives everything else in your life. Yeah, amen. And and I really think it's important. We spend probably more time on theology because that one's huge. Yes. How you define God then, then defines how you hear from him, which then defines his word. That's down the line. It's Christian theology. We're talking basic worldviews. So we're not going to do a doctrine of the Bible. Right. Um, we have that available on the blog. You can go see that. You can listen to the sermon on that. You can see the notes on that. But who God is then sets the stage for absolutely everything else, which leads us to the next question. How do we know? That's an epistemology. So how do we know? Epistemology is a funny word. It kind of literally means a word about knowing. Mm-hmm. And so um, this epistemology is is woo, like it's out there. Like you can go as deep with epistemology as you want. You try to keep it as simple as you want. I want to try to keep it as really simple as I right. possibly can um, because it really gets very heady. Basically, epistemology is the question, how do we know what we know? Like, how do we know that we know? That's where you get, woo, you get out there. So how do we know that we know? So there's a consciousness. We're aware of our surroundings, and we're aware of information coming at us, whether it be light, sound, information. It's constantly coming at us. God wired the world to be that way. So we're information gathers. Our brain is the greatest supercomputer on the face of the planet. So it's constantly processing information. Mm-hmm. And emotions, sights, sounds, words. And, and so epistemology is... Not only how do we know things, but how is it that we know what we know is real? And so for us, an epistemology um, is rooted in the fact that we believe God created us and relates to us, and therefore we are recipients, not necessarily um, ex nihilo from nothing creators. So because we are created, we were created to receive information 
Plato had this philosophy. Now, Plato's a pagan, so you can't go Platonic in your theology, but Plato understood something from just natural law, natural revelation, that we receive information. And his little student, Aristotle, said, yeah, we receive it, but we receive it from understanding. So Plato called it the Logos. This power up there reveals, we receive. Aristotle's like, yeah, but... But it's really right here in creation, so we discover. There's a painting of this, actually, a great painting of Plato's like pointing up and Aristotle's pointing down. So they understood epistemologies. We're learning, taking information from creation and from above us. And I would say they're both right. <laughs> they just didn't know where it came from. Right. They're, they're not Christians, but philosophically they understood epistemology as received from external stimulus, external sources, whether it be creation or God above us. And for us as Christians, we say that is the God, the triune God of the Bible. And we receive input from him in creation because he made it. It tells us something. Him, Psalm 19 says the heavens tell the glory of God. So there's something to be discovered about the glory of God in creation. But that's received. And we don't get to change it. It is what it is because he made it. I didn't make it. So we don't get to change the fact that a man's a man, the girl's a girl. God made that. No matter, I can say... I'm a girl, and we all know that Y chromosome is there because I'll food will be on my face later today and not be able to feel it. That's just a fact, right? So true. <laughs> so true. So that's quick primer on epistemology. And real philosophers will hear this and go, oh, so simple. Yes, I want to keep it really simple. Right. So that's so, that's my take on epistemology. Um, just wonder, I wanted to look up a definition of epistemology that wasn't Christian just to kind of give us a little bit of a balance. And so uh, Keith DeRose, who's a professor of philosophy, excuse me, at Yale University, says... Philosophy. I know, right? <laughs> and we're struggling with the words today. Uh, he says, epistemology is the branch of philosophy that deals with questions concerning the nature, scope, and sources of knowledge. And I think, so for Christians, you know, it's all about that search for truth and how we know it's truth. So, you, and, it, and again, it's one of those ideologies that can, it's not, it can go both, you know, it covers a lot of things. Yeah. But... But again, whether you're, even if you don't believe in God, like there you're, there's you're going to naturally search for understanding of the knowledge. So it's not just finding the knowledge, but the understanding piece. I think that's yeah. uh, an important component, and I love that we are focusing on the creation because you know when God created Adam, He didn't just create a, a flesh bag of bones, right? Like the, He would gave him a mind. Um, we you know, He put him over something, so Adam had to have had the knowledge of just how to rule the earth. Like he wasn't, he didn't just figure it out. Right. And since he was created as a man and didn't come to earth as a baby, there wasn't that development piece. So we have to say that God imputed that knowledge into him, but also gave him the ability to apply that knowledge, to mm. understand it, to mm. understand how animals yeah. work, what, <clears throat> what animals eat, yeah, how to take care of the garden, all those kinds of things. So even from the very beginning and being made in the image, God being a God of knowledge and a God of wisdom, we understand that that was passed down through Adam yeah. and we were given that. And I, I think that's beauty in that because we were giving the ability to think freely. Mm -hmm. uh, and you think about when you're in school, like elementary school, like when they teach you how to read, one of the first things they do is they teach you how to comprehend what you read. Right. And what do you do that? We do that through asking questions. You know, yeah. you read a passage and then you get questions and you have to yeah. think back and then you have to, it's not always there. You have sometimes you have to be able to apply right. and to learn how to use reasoning. And, and again, I'm not going to go into deep all that to say we were given our brain on purpose to be able to use that, to be able to process knowledge and then understand it yeah. and then to apply that. And from a theological standpoint, that's crucial. I and mean, we have to be able to take time to do that. 
it's just important of what source are you going to use yeah. to do that, and then how do you interpret that? How do you explain that to other people yeah. as huge. truth, as the truth? Mm. Well, that's why language is so important, um, and getting language correct, using the right words, defining words appropriately, because language is the predominant way information comes to us. God's a speaking God. He spoke, spoke words. We have ears. We're able to hear. We're able to process. We're able to speak words back, which is why the Bible says life and death are in the power of the tongue. It's not because we're... We're powerful. It's because God created language to be powerful, yeah. and so it's a source of knowing. It's how we, it's one of the ways we we know. So, so that's a that that's epistemology. So the next one is um, where did we come from? That's a cosmology. So, so you have you have several perspectives here. Like if if um, if you think in terms of if you're a naturalist, um, you can be a creation naturalist or you can be an eternal nature of matter naturalist. So you either believe all matter is eternal, this has always been here, and everything just kind of sprang. However you decided it got, it took the form it currently takes, you'd think matter was just eternally present, which would mean then we have eternity in us because we were somehow sprang up or were created from this, which makes us eternal in nature. Or you think there was a time when there was nothing, and then there was everything which would make matter not eternal. Now, depending on how you see that, would separate you from a lot of Eastern versus Western religious thought. Eastern thought being all matter is eternal. This has always existed, so we kind of came out of that. And our goal is to escape sometimes this cycle that we're in for whatever reason to get to a place where we stop that and kind of reach where it be nirvana or whatever that is. Or you think, you think no, it's uh, got a beginning point, and, and as a result, it might have an ending point. Right. And, and and so, therefore, what do we make of this in between? And so, if that's the case, if it came in, if it came to being from nothing, then then I probably I have a, a beginning and an end. And then the question becomes, well, what is what happens after the end, right? So the, all of these questions come from your cosmology. Right. So as a Christian, Chris, what is where did we come from? Well, in cosmology, at its core, it's just the story of origin, right? Like it's right. just. just where yeah where we come from and for us it's very clear in the scripture right at the beginning and he says in the beginning you know right. god created the heavens and the earth so we you know obviously we believe in creation and, and again all these questions kind of lead back to that i think that's where we have to start and yeah. to get a complete worldview to get, get to build a framework you have to start at the beginning yeah because it doesn't make sense to start from the middle or yeah. anywhere else yeah <laughs> that's right and so what you know even even the people who believe in like a big bang theory you know i'm always like well how did those things get there like, right. And if you can believe that they just always existed, then why is what why is the belief that a holy God created all things? Why is that crazy? But your opinion is not crazy. It's kind of what I think. You know, <laughs> right. I want to ask them sometimes. But you're right. Everybody right. believes something. Everybody believes in some sort of origin. Yeah. For us as believers, you know, we believe God has always been, and whether it was out of boredom or yeah. just, I mean, obviously it was out of His divine plan from the beginning. He created the world, and he yeah. created the solar system. He created the universe. All these things that we really don't even know the full mm-hmm. scope, breadth, width, length of, and we yeah. may never know just because we're so finite. And he's not. Yeah. Um, so we believe, you know, in the beginning that we get that clear p- picture that he created all things, and including man on the sixth day, and then he rested on the seventh day, and that he created all things for his glory. Yeah, that's right. With Absolutely. purpose. With purpose, right? So the only eternal. Among us is God Himself, who is eternal nature. Bible, the Bible tells us 
very clearly all over the Bible. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So He is He's eternal. We're not eternal. Matter's not eternal. Uh, matter has a born-on date. And, and regardless of how you get into the weeds of defining how that born-on happened, there's nothing, and then there was something. And yep. then we believe it is the God, the Triune God of the Bible, who spoke it into existence, and it came into being. Which, by the way, um, anybody knows me knows I have just a huge degree of respect for Muslims um, because we share so much of an ethical framework. But their argument, a Muslim argument for creation, cosmology is called, called the Kalam cosmological argument, and it's worth looking up. If you don't know it, it would be very helpful. Right. <laughs> you would find that we share an origin story. Um, we diverge on who God is. Um, but it is worth looking up because um, the truth of the matter is um, our com- our cosmology matters. It, yeah. it it determines how we see the answer to the next question, which is who is mankind? What is who is humanity? What is your anthropology? So, our cosmology and our theology affect greatly how we define who a human is. So, question four, Chris: Who is mankind? Uh, well, it's a natural flow here from what we just talked about the previous study of where we come from as humans and understanding all those things. So that I think there's a, an, an order here to yeah. help understand that right. uh, we're created beings who were made in the image of the most high God. Um, we are flesh and bones and we're made up of many things, but we're more than that too. We are also spiritual beings, right? We have a, we have a soul, we have a mind. Um, yeah. We exist all those things being created in his image um, in an effort to rule over the earth and to worship the creator. I think one of the things that gets lost when we tell the creation story is the fact that each day he says, and it was good. So the Lord is pleased in his creation. He's pleased in us, not when we sin, not when we do those things, certainly when we reject him. But overall, just from a creation standpoint, he is pleased in us, and he wants us to enjoy that in him. So we were created, uh, and this goes into a couple of next ones about what our purpose is, but just from a simple standpoint, we are... We are man and woman created in his image. You know, Genesis 1, it's 27, if I'm getting that right, 27, yeah. 28, uh, created in, in his image. And uh, I think that's the part we cannot lose. We can't just understand where we came from, but understand that, no, you are created in the image of the one we just said, who is triune, who is infinite, who is, you know, eternal, uh, who is over all things, who is perfect. And that that's where our identity begins. Yeah, absolutely. Who is man? We would say... We say mankind is not um, merely matter. He is made of matter, uh, made from the earth, um, and breathed into the breath of life by this triune God, made in his image in every way that God chose to image himself in us, which I think is physical as well as the immaterial components, therefore innately precious and valuable um, to full of dignity and 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 uh, honor, uh, and so that's who mankind is. And then you get into the weeds of that immaterial part, our mind, our soul, right? And you can even give it down: Are we two parts or are we three parts? And that's a good debate. Some of that's Greek thinking, some of it's Hebrew thinking. I think the Hebrew thinking is a little better. Um, but but man being physical and spiritual, um, and in that spiritual component, our mind, how our mind works, and that it's valuable. Our thinking, our thinking is to reflect the image of God. So who are we? We're capable of thinking like God. We're capable of imaging him physically. So how all these things, it's who we are. So we're innately full of dignity and should be treated well, which, man, you talk about how, how does your anthropology and your theology affect your view 
everything from birth to education to the law to the criminal justice system. Does your anthropology affect those things? I would say they do. Yeah. And so anyway, we could each of these are rabbit holes, but this is a good introductory mm-hmm. point. So we probably should we probably should move on. Uh question five, what is right and wrong? What about ethics? What about ethics? You know, from the very beginning, the Lord establishes right and wrong. Um, yeah. And he does that very clearly uh, in the Garden of Eden. He gives very ex- explicit instructions to Adam and Eve what they are to do. And he gives them just really just one thing you're not to do. Yeah. Uh, now, they failed on that pretty fast. So <laughs> thanks, guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, but <laughs> even from the beginning, there was right and wrong. There was yeah. this, and we were created with the ability to differentiate between the two yeah Um, and then even now in our present state um you know from a very young age we're taught that right we're taught right and wrong from an ethics standpoint we're even we're taught things like natural consequences right you you learn okay if i touch that fire there is a consequence and burns in my finger yeah and so i know that it's not right to touch that just as it is i'm from a standpoint of obeying or disobeying our parents following the law you know our whole world revolves around law and you know if you break the law there's consequence for that so it's it's throughout all of what we do we make decisions every day that we don't even process you know yeah. right or wrong whether it's driving down the road and and if you've driven down 75 people choose to do the, the wrong thing a lot right and then i it makes me want to do the wrong <laughs> thing back at them but um that's another <laughs> story for another day but all that to say Your is human nature yeah. <laughs> begins to rise up in certain ways right right but all of all of our actions our thought processes all the, of who we are hinges on this balance between good and evil between right and wrong um, and and being free to make those decisions. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, ethics and right and wrong. I, a couple of things here. People talk about morals and ethics, and I I think particularly as Christians, we'd be very careful to not equate those words, um, and use them distinctly because they are distinct. Ethics, ethics are ethics is or ethics are ethics. It should be ethics is, uh, but ethics as a study is singular. It's just got the S at the end of it. So ethics is a study of what's right and wrong rooted in some immutable and changeable things. Should be. Yes. Morals is rooted, the word moral is rooted in more. And more is really more of a social working out, a social agreement on what we all agree is right and wrong. For the Christian, morals are subservient to ethics. Yes. So because social culture all around the world has developed a set of beliefs we're going to operate around that are horrible. And just because it's moral in India doesn't make it ethical. Does that make sense? It does. And just because it's moral in Rome, Georgia, doesn't make it ethical. Um, They're agreed upon mores in the political world that are unethical. And when they get caught, they go to prison, right? So ethics is really where it's at. It's like what's right and wrong. And so ethics are really, ethics should be rooted in immutable truths. And for the Christian, we begin not with the law of the Old Testament. The law has a very specific purpose. Galatians, whole book of Galatians. If you're confused about what the law is about, go read Galatians. Galatians 3.24, the law is my tutor to lead me to Christ. That's the New American Standard. That's how I memorized that, and I can't get it out of my crawl. That's how it's wired in the NASB, but but law, ethics is rooted in God and his nature, 
and what he did in creation before sin entered it. There's natural law, which is why all around the world, humans share some ethical norms because it's rooted in creation, because the triune God of the Bible rooted it in creation. We all know murder's wrong. How do we know that? Because it's just wrong. We yeah. know taking a human life is wrong. And every system, whether it's justified or unjustified, knows that because it's natural. It's rooted in in man. It's rooted in created order. And so natural law is a source of ethics. It's rooted in the nature of God. Um, none of that can save you. We need the gospel to save us, but it, it does create order in society. God rooted that so that you could have a societal set of ethical norms that rule and put order in place. So ethics has to be rooted in some immutable truths. And if we go back to our theology, and our theology don't allow for immutable truths, your ethics are going to be way off. Mm-hmm. And then they're not going to match with the rest of the world, which is one of the reasons why you have very hard lines between various nations. Yeah. Is this tribe over here may have the ethic of kill or be killed, and the neighboring tribe says love. We don't kill each other. Well, which one of those are probably going to invade and kill the other one? <laughs> the one that says kill or be killed. They, they have a different theology. They have a different cosmology. And so ethics have to be rooted in some immutable truths. And, uh, and so time to move on. Number six, how are people rescued from the state of things not being right? That's a salvation. It's clear uh, from the very moment you have your first memories <laughs> until this day, something's not right. Yeah. Something's broke. So how, how do we see the repairing of the breaking? What does salvation look like for humans? Sure. I think, and, and again, going back to everyone has their own theology, I think everyone has their own view here. Some people it's karma or it's, yeah. you know, some sort of reincarnation. Um, I want to connect the last question here a little bit before I get into the Christian view, because I think that there's an important piece that you hit on when it comes to morals, because morals, morals shift from person to person and depending on your background, depending on your you know, your upbringing, that's why I think I'm glad you made that distinction between because morals won't save you, but there's a belief that they will. There's a yeah. belief that if I'm just a good person, then I'm going to go to heaven or that I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Um, the problem is Scripture is very different on that topic. Mm. Um, that's you know, right. Uh, James is a great book on what being a good person will get you Yeah. Um, uh, apart from Christ. And yeah. so for us as the believer, uh, you know, Christianity and, and salvation. So we talk a lot about, there's there's things in different even areas of Christianity, different um, denominations that we can agree to disagree on right. in their topics. But salvation is one of those ones you just cannot budge on, right? That's we right. are saved. Um, salvation happens by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Uh, even Jesus is very clear on that. He says, "I am the way, yeah. the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me." In John fourteen six, and I think that's peace is just crucial we can't bend on it mm. we can't take it and try to dissect it and say but you know there, there's just no room for error in there and i think that's important to remember when we talk about salvation is there is one way yeah and and, and it's not flexible he's not flexible on it he doesn't if, right. if there was another way he would have given it to us right and, and it goes beyond and that's why i wanted to connect that morals yeah. and ethics pieces like you can have good beliefs you can be a generally good person i mean look hitler probably had morals of some sort yeah but you know pretty sure that that wasn't gonna get him anywhere right and so when it comes to salvation apart from christ no one can be saved um and even though we're always looking for that and people look for it in different ways we can't compromise on that yeah that's right salvation 
as we said, it's evident something's wrong. And, and the revelation that we believe to be from the triune God of the Bible tells us that it's because mankind rebelled, followed in the rebellion that a created divine, spiritual, powerful being that was created by Yahweh somehow um, rebelled. And he's called the serpent, and and that works itself out. And no, 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 no. The wrong question is: is Satan a snake? That's like you need to read your Bible and pay attention. Serpent is language that is used um, to describe this being. And Ezekiel uh, twenty-eight, Isaiah fourteen, is various passages. If you pay attention to them, shows you that Moses isn't telling. Uh, Satan's a snake, or that snakes are satanic. This is this is language for a Mesopotamian mind. They understood he was referring to a supernatural spiritual being. Just right. problem is we're Westerners and we don't know any Mesopotamian worldview. So, and we have a tendency to then read that stuff on the Bible and go to creation museums and look at stuff about how snakes lost their legs because God. Did. It's like, oh God. Help me, Jesus. So it's like, oh, dude, do some reading, man. Yeah. Pay attention. So anyway, so there's this rebellion, and man follows in it. And as a result, the Lord said, the day you eat it, you'll die. So what happens is the virus, the cancerous virus of death entered all humanity. The earth, the, the air, us, everything broke. I mean, every process broke. Everything, the day you eat of it, you'll die. And I imagine when the Lord said that, Adam and Eve probably couldn't have imagined cancer or um, couldn't have imagined blood clots, couldn't have imagined tribes killing genocide, right? They couldn't have imagined systems breaking. Systems are supposed to work. Systems right. are holy and good, but the systems are even broken. The relationship between man and man, man and creation, man and systems, uh, all these things are broke. And so salvation is God quite literally fixing and repairing Everything the curse broke. And so, flow through the Bible, you get Isaiah. This is spoken about all over the Bible. It's just eyes to see and ears to hear. God intends to take everything that's broken and make it new again. Even the flow of the Bible is creation, uh, fall, redemption, and then the restoration. And all through the Bible, it witnesses to this fact that God intends to make things in the end just like he did in the beginning and be renewed. So it's beginning, middle, beginning. It's actually the sixth scent follows the plot line of the Bible, the sixth sense. And so if you hadn't seen that movie, you repent and go watch it. It's an incredible I flick. People. I see dead people. But it follows that storyline of the Bible. Yeah. What blows my mind is how people who aren't Christians can read the Bible and find the storyline, and those who call ourselves Christians can't find the storyline of the Bible. But it's beginning, middle, beginning. Then the revelation isn't anything but Eden again. Sin's destroyed, and, and that's awesome. So God, in, in the redemptive work of Jesus, is saving us through, through the sacrifice of Christ, and he's renewing all of creation for us to be in forever with him. And I swear to you, I think Hank Williams Jr. is closer to a good theology of heaven than a lot of um, Platonic Christians in that Heaven's going to be a lot like Dixie without sin. Yeah. And by God, I want to go. Right? Can you imagine streams and mountains and gardens and relationships and systems that are not broke? 
listen, if you're listening to this and that appeals to you, you simply, all you have to do is believe in Jesus. Turn from the sin of unbelief, believe in Jesus, and you will be saved, the Bible says. And, and that eternal reality will be yours. And so salvation through Christ alone, the only way, he's restoring everything that's broken, physical, emotional, mental, and um, that, that, that'll lead to the eschatology. But that's the last one. So number seven, what's our purpose? Teleology. What's the, teleology is a word that means end. What's the end? So what's our purpose? So teleology is a reason or an explanation for something which serves as a function of its end, its purpose, or its goal, as opposed to something which serves as a function of its cause. So I love asking this question a lot. We ask, you know, we ask people all the time, and you know, what is your why? What is your purpose? Um, Mark Twain has a great quote that's mm-hmm. just very simple. You know, he says the the two most important days of your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. Um, and, and that and that can be taken. Like I have a purpose on this earth. Um, but I also have a purpose in Christ and I have a purpose that I was created for from a spiritual standpoint as well, Yeah, you know, to make much of him. Um, you know, I'm reminded the Westminster Shorter Catechism answers the question, what is the chief end of man, uh, which is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So yeah. at, at the, the crux of things, that's my purpose. My purpose yeah. is to glorify him and enjoy him forever, which we do that through salvation, through That's right. the gift. Um, and, and, of course, we're entering the, the Easter season. You know, We're a week away from Good Friday, so it's a great time to be thinking about these things. I should be thinking about them all the time. But I just, mm. you know, I think about purpose, and I'm like, uh, when I talk about all my other purposes or or the other aspects of my purpose, it all has to line up with that. Yeah, I have to get that first. You know, I can't, my purpose can't be to be a great husband if before, you know, being a good follower, being a good disciple, yeah. being a good creation yeah. um, so to speak and so everything else lines up to that purpose and that's what we were mm. created for first and foremost were we created for other things too yes you know to you know, rule the earth subdue the earth to multiply to you know be kind to influence other people to build civilizations to you know all these yeah. different things are part of that but they all fall under the umbrella of yeah glorify god and enjoy him forever amen that's good because like yeah, it's, it's like you said, being a good father, that's great, but that has to be defined by something else. Like, what was I made for? It's like, well, what what is a good father? And when you understand, like, what I was made for, then that takes you back to the, your theology, and that's so I'm supposed to be like that. So yeah. that's a good father. I heard a story. I don't know if this is true, but there was a story of a dad had his kid climb up on the edge of their roof and going to have him jump off and going to catch him. And, you know, he talked him into it. The boy was scared. He jumped, and his dad didn't catch him. And he told him, first lesson, son, don't trust anybody. And I'm going, and 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 that dad might have said, I'm I'm a good father. I'm teaching him how to survive. I'm like, no, you're crappy. Somebody should punch you in the freaking throat. Yeah. No, that's not being a good father. So again, what's true? What's what's your what's your ethics? But but my good father has to be rooted in something else. My end, what was I created for? I was created to to be like Jesus. And he's not gonna drop me when I jump. Right, and so so this this purpose um, has to be rooted in something deep. I love the I love the way that the catechism states it, um, and you notice the grammar. Man's chief end is mm-hmm. glorifying and enjoy God's bad grammar, good theology. Right, it's uh-huh. enjoying God and glorifying Him are the same thing. Yes, God is most glorified when we really enjoy Him. Because he made us to be with him and walk with him. And and this reconciling work of the cross reconciles us to God to enjoy God. And I think sometimes our theology comes across. I know for me, I'm still fighting 
somewhere, I don't know how it got into my soul, a theology that puts God distant and angry with me. I know better, but I, I truly fight that on a daily basis. I have to get up and remind myself, God is not mad at me. God is not mad at me. In Christ, now, apart from Jesus, he's, he's mad at me. Justly so, because I'm because of the sin of Adam. The day you eat of it, you will die. But when you repent and believe the gospel, he gives to us all of the righteousness of Christ and all his perfection and takes us as daughters and sons of God. He loves me. I want to say something that may be profound here, at least in my mind, I think, and I'm not there yet, so I want to be clear on that. When we get to a point in life, and hopefully we do, where we stop trying to make up for the wrongs we have done to him and we just live in the freedom of the grace he has given to us, mm. I feel like that's when we can really comprehend that concept of enjoying him. Yeah. And and I say that to, not because I have accomplished it, because I haven't. I'm going to do this often. I'm like, oh, I screwed up again. Now I've right. got to like... I've got to act doubly nice or good to try to make up for it. Right. He's like, no, man, he looks at me. He just sees me. And that's my son. Yeah. That's my daughter. Like they're one, mm. you know, they are, we are heirs to the throne. The Bible says, and, and man, if we can, and, and we're, we're still broken people. I mean, yeah. we're still sinful people, yeah. but man, if we can get to that point where we stop, yeah. where we see ourselves in the way. And I, you know, I tell my wife sometimes, I wish you could see you, the way that I see you. Yeah. And um, I know that's hard for her to do, you know, and that's probably, it's just in us to do that. But I'm like, man, if I could see myself the way he sees me, yeah, that would completely change all of my worldview, my theology, and it certainly would change the way that I live. That's good. And my purpose. That's good. Last question. What is mankind's end? What is our eschatology? What What is our ending point? What does this bad boy look like? Yeah, so eschatology being a study of last things uh, or the end. Uh, most Christians refer to this kind of like as Revelation, right? We look at the book of Revelation, uh, and there's numerous thoughts and theories about what the end of mankind will be. Um, scripture isn't super clear on the timing of that, right? We don't know when the end is. We can't point and say, okay, in year 3063. Um, but we know, we know it will come after the rapture, after the tribulation. If you read the book of Revelation, and we won't have time to unpack all that here, but after the thousand-year reign of Christ, uh, we know that the end will come quietly and quickly uh, at that point. And whenever that time does come, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, it says in Revelation 21. 1. And then you talked about this earlier. It's kind of like, you know, we wipe away this and then there's a brand new heaven, a brand new earth, and yeah. we, that um, eternal life kicks in and we get to be with him. But there is an end to yeah. this. And Absolutely. I think that's where it kind of begins. Absolutely. Big picture eschatology is the end. What does the end look like? And, and and we've kind of we've already alluded to that that it that it is the restoration of everything lost in Eden. Yeah. On a global scale. Inside every human who's in the kingdom, who is reserved, who's been preserved and not placed in the place of eternal punishment because of their refusal to believe the good news. Um, but a renewed heaven, renewed earth, not junked. Like when Peter talks about fervent heat and fire refining the earth, people falsely understand that without reading Isaiah, without reading Genesis well, that God's going to destroy all this, do away with it. Revelation gives us this beautiful picture of this suspended judgment, reward thing going on, and and him remaking creation. And this beautiful um, 
genre of writing you find in Daniel and Revelation, this imagery of, of God doing this work in us um, in which he judges, rewards, um, based on the work of the gospel, not our own work, and, and, re, and retooling everything. Peter's language is imagery of the refining work of God. God's going to remake it. He's not going to do away with it because he said in Genesis, everything he made is very good. So he's not going to destroy it. He's just going to renew it. That's this Colossians 1, 15 to 20. So he's remaking and renewing new creation springing forth. So the end, the eschaton, is Eden regained. So we are moving toward everything being brought back into perfection. Now, when you get into the Christian view of that, there are so many, like you got millennial views, like, like you mentioned, thousand years. You got rapture stuff, like when does that happen? Like what is that? And like so many people have a framework from, they have a thought about that from a framework that's very new in Christian history called dispensationalism. And I'm not a dispensationist and um, I don't like any of the frameworks in any systematic theology um, because their frameworks sat down on top of the text. They're not taken out of the text, and they all have problems. So I mean, if you're listening to this and you're new to Christian theology, you may read about amillennialism, premillennialism, dispensationalism, dispensational premillennialism, premillennialism. You may read about classical historical premillennialism, postmillennialism. It's like, oh, God. And, and all of them are broke because they're people trying to make sense of eschatological texts and put them on a timeline, then they all break. So I would say don't get in a camp. Let the text let you know God is moving us toward this. And whatever it looks like, it's going to look an awful lot like the gospel going to the nations, new creation breaking out all over as we work in creation, um, as we do our jobs, our vocations are holy. Um, and as we tell this good news and people, people are changed, they're transformed. They're made into new creations. As new creation is sprouting forth all over, and at some point in time, the Lord will return. Whatever time that looks like, the Bible says He's coming again. Um, and in like manner you saw Him go, He's coming back, we're yeah. told. And when He does, He's bringing with Him the completion of all things. Kingdom fully come. Will fully being done on earth as in heaven. And, and heaven is going to be the eternal kingdom of heaven right here, no sin. Eden regained. It's not up in the sky it's not this spiritual world where we're going to be singing songs all day because if that's the case, I'm out. That's boring. Like singing, I, I like worshiping on Sunday mornings, but I remember growing up as a kid all day singings, thinking somewhere about 10 o'clock that morning, like I, I stabbed myself in the eye with a pencil. Can I go play in the graveyard or something? Get me out of here. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember like, I got to go do something. But man, that's not what God presents. The end is us living on and in this creation. I think Lewis captured it in the last battle beautifully. When they all finally enter that hut that they dreaded, and it looks like all was lost, all hope was lost, and they entered that hut knowing this was it. They found themselves in Aslan's country so that through death, renewal was brought, and they could run, and they didn't get tired, and they farther up and further in, further up and further in as they ran into Aslan's country. I, I think Lewis captured that beautifully. And so we will live like that. It'll be further up and further in, and we'll, we'll never sound the depth of it. Right. And and I'm in. I'm in with that. Yeah, and I think that's the right way to look at it. The The, the end is, is, is not just all the... The hard stuff, you know. Don't don't build your eschatology just based on the left behind books and movies. No offense, Kirk Cameron. Please don't. But you know, just 
yeah, it's the fulfillment of the of the promise. Really, it's the yeah. fulfillment of you know he's we already know the end, and that's yeah. just wonderful in itself. But to know that hey, I'm going to get to experience that one day. Right. It's just oneness with him. It's perfection in him. It's Eden without any fall, without any yeah. snakes or, yeah. you know, there might be snakes there, but they're not going to convince you to eat things you shouldn't they're eat. Not be, just, they're not going to be the serpent. Yeah. All those evil beings gone. What a glorious day that's going to be. What a glorious day. Absolutely. Well, guys, we appreciate you listening to us. We are so thankful for our little audience of Theology in the Dirt. We're thankful for our church, thankful for those who want to join us in this. And it's fun to hear throughout the week um, folks I run into says, hey, I listen to the podcast. And I'm like, that's awesome. Thank you very much. And so we do appreciate you guys listening. So if you're watching, you're listening, however you choose to uh, engage with us, we are grateful. And we hope this is helpful for you. Our aim is to, first and foremost, help uh, our church uh, have more access to helping think through issues, but also anybody else who wants to join us in that journey, we want you to come along with us. You can find this stuff at theologyinthedirt.com. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it on Spotify. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it on Apple. You can find it on whatever. It's out there on every iHeartRadio. It's everywhere. Yeah. And so we would love it if you would share the podcast, give us five-star rating, um, all that fun stuff. There's also a link we put down there. If you want to support the podcast, you can do that. And hopefully one day we'll have a banner. I've nearly knocked this sign over during the podcast twice, knocked it over before we started. And so we need a banner. And so we're going to be uh, updating where we um, film this from and record this from. So if you want to support it, that's awesome too. Thank you guys. We hope you have an absolute rest, a great rest of your day. We hope you have a fantastic weekend and we'll see you next time. Out. Never going to give you up.